Hey, everybody. Welcome to No Reserve. It's part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. Now, we're here to help you make sense of the enthusiast car market, whether you're buying, selling, or just watching. Now, this week, we discussed the big inversion in the Ferrari market, where the once black sheep Dino is suddenly worth more than the V12 Daytona. Holy smokes. Also, the Corvette Z06 and the 911 GT3, both new cars, were recently flipped for well over the sticker price. That's continuing. But then on the affordable end, there's still the Chevy Chevelle. Now, I'm Larry Webster, editor of Haggerty Media, and I'm joined by Dave Kinney, publisher of the Haggerty Price Guide. Hey, Larry. Hey, Dave. Between us, we've got decades of experience buying, selling, and driving the cars we love. Plus, we've got the data of the Haggerty valuation tools. Hello, Dave. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Larry? Well, I mean, it's kind of an interesting. I am very curious about something happening in the Ferrari market, and I believe you're really up to speed on this. Uh, would you tell us what some you're noticing and you and I were talking about earlier? You know, uh, Dinos have flipped over Daytonas in terms of value in a lot of cases. And this is something that, you know, we, we're going to have to examine the reason why. Uh, the Dino was not a Ferrari when it came out, kind of famously. It was badged as a Dino. Uh, and, you know, if you were the big dog buyer, you'd buy the Daytona. And now it appears that the Dino is the one that's uh, not just catching up, but uh, it's it's surpassed the Daytona okay. in value. So this is like the inversion of salt water, right? When the cold overtakes the top or some science thingy like that. But the Dino. Wow, are, you from, are you from Michigan or something? You're talking about like <laughs> yeah, okay. we think about the cold. Uh, so this is really interesting. So the Ferrari Daytona was the 12-cylinder front-engine manual transmission car built in the early 70s. The convertible version was really famous on Miami Vice. Um, that was the car that set the Cannonball Run record with Dan Gurney and Brock Yates. You know, yes, sir. everything Ferrari. And for a while, I remember they were, especially the convertibles, that was the car that really set the Ferrari bubble in the 80s. Yes? Is that true? Well, pretty much. I mean, you know, they yeah. made a lot of them compared to yeah. the earlier cars, but uh, yeah, absolutely. They were they were the thing. And they were all the fakes. The convertibles were so much money, the Daytona convertibles, that they were um, taking coupes and chopping the top off and trying to pass them off as convertibles, right? A lot of fraud. Uh, I wouldn't say fraud. I would say, uh, you know, the first person who did it just said, hey, I want a spider. Uh, the second person who did it knew that it was a chop top. The third person, then it gets a little iffy. But you can tell by serial numbers because these things are so well documented. But yeah, so I mean, it, it a lot of it happened. Uh, they did make. I mean, let's be clear: Ferrari did make uh, Daytona Spiders, uh, just not yeah. in the first couple of years. But uh, do you happen to know, by the way, why they were called Daytonas? Because that's how I know them. But it's actually what it's a three sixty five GTB is. I think the official name, right? Yeah, um, they actually picked up the name Daytona because of the race. I mean, it was one of those things where it was a, uh, I, you know, a lot of cars pick up, uh, you know, uh, Mercedes never introduced. Yeah, they never introduced a Gullwing, but that's what we call it, right? That happens right. all the time. So right. the uh, the Daytona, uh, you know, picked up the name of a race and a, a quite a cool watch from Rolex. So kind of got a lot of stuff going on. Okay, so you had the classic Ferrari GT car, V12, uh, which I think was a Colombo motor, famous, brilliant engine. They race these things at Daytona under the uh, the North American Racing banner and set the tone for Ferrari values. I think we've seen them soften, especially the coupes, because the, the, here's another question. The, the Spiders were worth a lot more than the coupes in the 80s and 90s. But in the last decade, have they sort of equalized or are Spiders still worth more? Because they're rare. No, Spider's still worth more. Uh, okay. But what's happened is, you know, these these cars kind of went up to the coupes went up to about eight hundred grand and then started falling back. Now the the good thing is that this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, you know, Daytona's have been kind of a canary in the coal mine in terms of where the market is. Uh, that's of course going away because they're getting much much older. You know, as you said, like late late sixties, early seventies cars. And so there's got the stability of having that ownership, uh, you know, long-term ownerships on a lot of these things. Yeah, they're they're right at that cusp of usability because they have manual steering and it is hard to park them. I know a lot of people are putting in uh, electric power steering and things like that. But when yeah, you hear yeah, them yeah, go, come on, it, don't go to the gym. Just drive your Daytona. Come on, man. I'd be putting electric power steering in it, just let's be clear. <laughs> but you hear one go by and it, it just snaps your head around on you. I mean, they're just that brilliant cars. And 
Okay, now let's con- contrast that. The Dino was a sub-brand that Ferrari tried to launch in the 1960s, named after his deceased son. Yes? That is correct. And, and the so. Dino, uh, you know, the Dino is is not front-engined. It's uh, it's mid-engined. It's not a V12. Uh, but it is a two-seat car. That does have that one thing going for it. It came out as coupes. And like the Daytonas, uh, they lost their top later on. You could get it as both a coupe and a... Let's just call it what it is, a Targa. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so there's some similarities there in terms of introduced as a coupe, both of them, and then became a Spider or a Targa later on. Wait, no, 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 no. The, the, the big split is in the engine room. So the oh, Daytona has a, uh, a Ferrari V12 that can trace its lineage all the way back to the first Ferrari V12 and the 166 in the mid-50s. The sure. Dino, I mean... Unfortunately, it was saddled with not a V12, a V6. And the, one of the reasons that Enzo had to make this car is by this time, Fiat was a big owner or part owner of Ferrari, and they wanted to share a motor with Fiat. Even Can you imagine that? Ferrari sharing a motor with Fiat. And that was his V6 that also worked in a Fiat coupe, correct? Yeah, 2.06 liter and uh, yeah, 2.46 liter engines. That's correct. Right, right. So Ferrari needed a place to put this motor. And they came up with a whole new line. They did put it in this gorgeous body. I think it was a Pininfarina. Like you said, it was a mid-engine, very swoopy-looking thing. And that was the first one in 1969, the Dino 206, as you said, the two-liter motor. Later, with the bigger motor, the 246, yeah? That is correct. Now, it also went into a coupe for Fiat. So you could get the very good-looking coupe. I'm sorry, the very good-looking Spider. And the kind of looks like a Fiat coupe. Right. Uh, you know, lots of power, but, uh, you know, they, they kind of, you know, the corporate branding was showing on that one. So, yeah. So these Dinos were basically for decades, they were throwaway cars. I mean, there's a story of one in LA that somebody just buried it in their backyard. You remember that? Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> they dug it up. I, I remember that. I don't think they were ever throwaway cars. Yeah, yeah, but, they uh, were. They were like 15, $20,000 no. Ferraris. Yeah, of course they were. Come on. In you know, if anybody wants to bury one in my backyard, I've got a huge backyard. I, you know, I'll take care of the whole thing. Just drop it off with the keys and the title. Yeah, yeah. I'll but, bury it. I promise it will. It had all this baggage. It didn't have a Ferrari badge on it. Yeah. The real yeah, Ferrari yeah. people didn't really consider it a real Ferrari. Uh, it had this engine shared with a Fiat. It had all this stuff going against it, right? Man, it sounds like a horrible car. Why would anybody buy one of these, Larry? Well, of course, because, you know, <laughs> here at Haggerty, Dave, we're always ahead of the curve. What did we do two years ago? Do you remember? Uh, we put uh, it on the bull market list and we said, of hey, of course we did. This car, we're seeing signs something's going on here. And sure, you've probably been noticing this for a while because um, cars that were below 50 grand were maybe in the last decade that run up in Dino prices has gone up to several hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. What drove that, do you think? You know, I think it's those kids today. Uh, I think that really what's happening is that the Daytona appeals to an older uh, demographic. And it being that older demographic, I'm going to just go ahead and jump right in and say, me, me, me. And the Dino. That means you're, um, you and your buddies, Dave? Yeah, yeah. All the guys at the country club with me, you know, smoking <laughs> the cigarettes and, uh, you know, talking about how horrible things are. That's that's me. You know? <laughs> what, what can I say? Um, and playing golf because I did play golf once, uh, you know, it didn't end well. But anyhow, the uh, the long and short of it is I think the Dino appeals to a generation that's a little bit younger. Also, you're not going to like this. I know a lot of people who are Porsche people who have bought Dinos because they like the engineering of it. They like the styling of it. And they kind of like the fact that the engine sits in back of them. So, uh, I mean, huh. it's kind of a weird one because there's uh, there's all that going for it. The Dino is not a big person's car. The Daytona's fine if you've got a set of shoulders. Um, so, you know, there's, there's those things going on as well. I've driven a couple of Dinos. I've driven lots of Daytonas. Uh, I must tell you, I, you know, have my head turned to the side when I'm in a Dino because I can't get my head in along with the rest of my body. Um, well, you're so like seven feet too, right? I mean, you're pretty big. Yeah, something, something yeah. like that. Right. But uh, yeah, more, more, more like six foot three. But oh, yeah, that's, okay, the, yeah. that's the point. But anyhow, the uh, full blooded. Uh, long story sh- long. There, the, there you go. Uh, the long story short on this is that I think its appeal across generations is a little bit different for the Dino than it is for the Daytona. Mm. Which, of course, means that demographically speaking, the Dino will stay up there where the Daytona 
might stay right where it is, but uh, probably not a lot of growth right now, um, which is kind of sad. I like the Daytonas better. I'm just going to say it. I like them a lot better than the Dinos. Well, here's a, there's something fascinating about it because I see what you're saying. Like the next generation is more interested in the Dino rather than the Daytona. And we're seeing that across the market, but it's usually cars uh, of a later generation. So, you know, mid-80s Testarossas, I could see being worth more than Daytonas someday. We're going to park that because I know they built a lot more Testarossas, and you're probably going to say that was a dumb thing to say. But however, these Dinos and the Daytonas are from the same era, right? Exactly. That's exactly. what's really I mean, interesting. Made at the same exact time. I mean, you know, right. there were like, you know, Dinos coming down the line here, Daytonas coming down the line there, but not much difference uh, between the two. Okay, here's a theory. Um, on one hand, the Dinos was rejected because it didn't have a Ferrari badge. Could there be a little bit of uh, people don't want the Ferrari badge and what it stands for, and maybe the Dino appeals to them mm, for that? There might be something like that, but I mm. kind of doubt it. Almost everybody who's taken their Dino badge off, thrown it away, and put a put a, a Ferrari badge on. It's a kind of a rare one when you see it still has the original Dino badges on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, the guys who have the, uh, the big Ferrari uh, Scuderia, you know, crests on the fender and all that sort of stuff. I better be very careful because my 612 Scalietti has those. Uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's rejecting the Ferrari. Oh, okay. I think it's, I think it's more like rejecting the front engine V12 Ferrari or maybe just saying, wait a minute, this was a cool car too. Uh, I know people who own both a Daytona and a Dino and they use both and they, you know, enjoy both. So, uh, you know, I, I think, I think though there is a generational difference here. Yeah, the thing, uh, I've driven the Dinos as well, and a couple things jump out. Another kind of interesting difference is between the Dino and the Daytona. Um, the Dino, they call I don't know if they call it a Spider, but it's basically a target top. And mm -hmm. the Daytona Spider has a more conventional convertible top. The Daytona Spider is worth more than the Coupe. But now when you get to a Dino, it's the other way around, right? Well, in some ways, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's so many differences between the years. I mean, they come out in, you know, basically 1968 slash 1969. And uh, they're all coupes at that point. Then there's some early cars, the L series cars. Uh, and, you know, things go a little bit different. But, you know, think of another make where the where the uh, uh, where the uh, coupes are worth more than the convertibles. It starts with a P and it's made in Germany. Yeah, the Porsches. So the Dino. Oh, I see. Oh, oh hey, I got you. You're, you led me down a path here. You said earlier that perhaps Porsche fans are buying the Dino and as Porsche hardtops are worth more than the convertibles, it's the same with the Dino, right? Right, Dave? In in some cases. Now, don't make that big generalization like a... Oh, uh, no, uh, don't, don't muddy the waters. Come on, let's get, let's get specific. It's true, right? Uh, you what, want a hardtop Dino. Say, whatever you say, Larry. Whatever you say. <laughs> even if you're wrong, whatever you say, Larry. <laughs> now, the 246 GTSs, the, you know, 72, 73, the late cars, uh, have a lot going for them. Uh, I Why, know that, GTS you know, like, is Targa? Yeah, GTS. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, the, I, the argument is so convoluted, though, at this point. I mean, yes, Dinos are catching up and exceeding Daytona. But parsing it farther than that makes a little bit of problems because there's some people who will say, you're going to pry that, uh, you know, uh, 73 GTS out of my cold dead hands because they like the fact that it's a target top. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, you know, for serious people who are going to rally or race the cars or even, you know, Gymkhana or something like that, they're going to go for the, uh, they're going to go for the coupe. But there aren't that many of those people out there right now. That want the coupe, you mean? No, no, that uh, that are going to use their coupe oh. in anger in any way. Okay, they okay. like the they like the structural rigidity of having a coupe. That's I have found in uh, the, the the Dinos, the later three hundred eights. The for me, just driving it around, the, the the difference I feel in the chassis rigidity between the coupe and the Targa is is pretty dramatic. So I would always yep. pick the uh, coupe, even if you, you're right. I, I'll give up the open air and all that stuff. So I don't think Daytonas are going off a cliff. By any stretch, I nope. mean, I, I think they're, I mean, they're still worth what, five, six hundred grand. I mean, they're half. A yeah, million. I think that, you know, obviously they go from, you know, in the fours with cars that have a lot of needs to well into the six with, you know, with astonishingly nice cars and even more so for cars, you know, we're, we're at that at that time again, where the really early cars and the really late cars are what the people 
seem to be focusing in on in terms of the Daytonas. They like the purity of design of the early Daytonas and they like the features that were added in the later ones. So that's that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, it, they're pretty brilliant cars. I'm, I am I am surprised by this. I know you're you're you. This is something that you said is was a long time coming, but those Daytonas are pretty spectacular. So probably one of the best values in the Ferrari market today, I would argue. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of car for the money, and it is, uh, you know, the game changer, one of the game changer cars for uh, Daytonas. Uh, having been around back then, I remember when people said, wow, there goes the Ferrari world. They're building like 1,200 of these things. Oh, my goodness, they've never built that many of the, any car before. That's just going to ruin the value of all of our, you know, Ferraris. Well, that's a joke because, I mean, now 1,200 cars, 1,400 cars is just nothing. Uh, that's like a limited series. Uh, but back in the day, that was a big deal when Ferrari was making 300 of this and 285 of this and, you know, 690 of this. So uh, that's how much the world has changed in these 50 years. Oh, I tell you, you know, we just, uh, Haggerty, on the Haggerty YouTube channel, there's just a new video on the kind of sport UD thing that Ferrari makes. I think I'm going to say it right. You could tell me the Ferrari Pro Sangway. Nope. Uh, Pro Sang. Uh, I think it's... Uh... Uh, all right, yeah. we'll have to whatever. Say, I've, it I've might been take a before. while. So yeah. they're going to make uh, uh, twenty five hundred of those a year. And yeah, and it looks just like the Mazda. What is it? MX sixty or whatever it is. MX thirty. So, MX thirty. That's yeah. I doubled it. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, yeah, it's uh, kind of interesting. They'll sell all of them because everybody makes all their money on SUVs. Uh, every nine eleven Porsche. Every time they see an SUV Porsche go by, instead of you know uh, giving it the one finger salute, they should get out and just you know bow their bow their heads. Uh, that they did that because that's where the money is. Uh, the money's making these SUVs right now, and that keeps the uh, sport cars afloat. So uh, I don't know if that's going to happen with Ferrari, but I would not be surprised if that's Well, true. I want to move on. I'll just say this. Ferrari has said they're going to keep that production of that thing pretty low. Uh, they could probably sell yeah. a lot more than 2600 and you know, it's a publicly like, traded company. Things change. You could be right. They're but like, They're like a half a million dollars. I think that's kind of self-limiting, don't you? Uh, I mean, I think so, but there seems to be so many cars that sell for several hundred thousand dollars these days that yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, not all of us have 612s and Bentleys like you, Dave. So, I mean, you know, a lot of us think about things like maybe we could buy like an Acura Integra Type R might have been on our radar, except did you see what happened at Amelia recently? Yeah, that uh, broke a world record, a Type R uh, Acura Integra in beautiful white, I might add. I think they were, the Type R's were all white, if memory I serves. Yep. And uh, this sold at the Broad Arrow auctions there. And it, it was a stunning outlier, $40,000 more than the next highest. Uh, $151,200 to be exact. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, these are pretty interesting cars. Uh, let, tell me your thoughts on this. Are you sitting there going, the world has gone crazy? Or you're like, Oh, these have been undervalued forever. Uh, makes perfect sense. I don't know about how oh, how forever they've been undervalued, but uh, uh, you know, when we see that you know one of these goes for you know big, huge money, then that's when we kind of sit up and notice and think, why is this happening? I think that uh, part of it is that uh, um, you know there's so much emphasis now on on uh, the cars from Japan, especially JDM. Uh, this, of course, is not a uh, you know not your normal choice of JDM cars. It's got the steering wheel on the correct side. And all those other fun things, this is something you could have bought but didn't, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. I don't think, you know, the, one of the struggles for the the Integra line was such a brilliant car because this is at a time when Honda was really flexing its en its muscles with regards to its powertrain. And so mm -hmm. um, you had in this car, you had a 1.8 liter engine with 195 horsepower. That's holy smoked more than 100 horsepower per liter, non-turbo. Right, Honda had the S2000. It was a two-liter, 240 horsepower. Oh my God! I mean, our our brains were about to explode. Uh, the Integra Type R they built as a road racing special, and I knew a lot of folks who uh, road raced this thing in the states. And I don't know if people realize just how different the Type R is from a regular GSR, or regular Integra. I mean, I've heard numbers like there's only. 5% of the part numbers between a Type R and a regular Integra are shared. 
And yeah, I think it's pretty amazing because, you know, uh, you, you know, everybody knows somebody's mom or dad who had an Integra. Yeah. Um, you know, they were just out there, but this car was like, you know, uh, you know, okay, let's pull one over on people. Let's, you know, let's do this type R that is so incredibly different. Um, and, and that's what they did. And that's where this car is. I mean, you could drive this car down the street every single day, suburban city, whatever. And only about maybe what, four or 5% of the people watching it go by would go, Oh my goodness, that's a type R. Um, yeah. because it fits, it fits in with the, you know, the Japanese car look of the time. Oh, I mean, it's just a fascinating car because this is when Honda was, you know, they, uh, this was not long after Honda had, um, you know, they were racing with McLaren. And they had won a championship. Senna was driving the car. The NSX came out. This to me, like the 85 to 2000 was Honda in its absolute awesome prime. And the other thing I like about these cars, and I'm justifying this price, even if I would never pay it, um, is that if you think about a Shelby Mustang and, you know, Shelby took Mustangs in 1965, you know, we did a little stuff to them, made them a little better, different motor stuff. But then you had from the factory, completely re-engineer a car and then offered it for sale to anybody. I mean, it's it's a, a very similar formula executed to a much higher level with a company that was winning in Formula One. Boom, right? Yeah, it's got all those things going for it. And uh, it, you, I like that analogy, believe it or not, the, uh, the Shelby type analogy is kind of like, I, you know, you had to be a little bit in the know. I mean, not not crazy much, but you had to be a little bit in the know to to know what was going on here. Um, you know, Shelby announced it with the stripes and the and you know the Shelby name across it. This has got a kind of a discreet little Type R badge on it, and you know the rear wing and a few other things that are kind of the visible stuff that makes it different from a lot of the other ones. But um, you know, it, it's it's kind of ultimate stealth. Uh, you know, in 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 that sort of car, and I love that. Yeah, well, this one was presented really perfectly. It had very low miles, yeah. which I think it had like 44,000 miles, right? So uh, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, it had a lot of things going for it. It wasn't really molested, and which, of course, they made enough of these. They weren't super expensive. And then they were on the used market that, you know, in the sport compact phase, they all got cut up. They all got modified. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about a, a, a twin turbo Mark IV Supra's, $300,000 car. I mean, I think this price sounds not as crazy. So I was trying to take the other side of your argument, Dave, but I failed. I think I agree with you on this one. Yeah, it's uh, it's the rare car that we both completely agree on. I mean, you know, it's uh, one of those things where I, I love your analogy, number one, the, the kind of Shelby analogy. Also, mm-hmm. I think that so many of these cars got, you know, all used up in, in, in period that it makes the, you know, if you have one, it now says, wait a minute, maybe you should restore it. Uh, but it also says, uh, you know, go and take a look at the the ones that were, uh, you know, the ones that were uh, that were beat up and kind of cut up and everything else. Maybe it's time to put them back together and make real cars again out of them. Yeah. Rest- amazing. So soon. Yeah. That's- restoration will be tricky on these because you go to the Honda store and you need a, let's say, a brake master cylinder and the Type R and the regular Integra will be different. And okay. how will you really know? So that's going to be tricky. But. What a great car. Um, the, the, the commenters on the Haggerty Insider article was very funny. They were all very uh, not supportive of that price, but I understand because now it means fewer of us can buy it. Another one that sold um, really high, it was like a brand new new car, was uh, on Bring a Trailer. It was a 2022 911 GT3 Touring with the six-speed manual. It sold for $340,000. I thought the media with these GT3 manuals was over. I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, well, you had me with this uh, British Racing Green. I mean, this is like the the color I want on mine. Uh, It's got everything. It's the GT3 Touring. I mean, come on, the cognac leather. I mean, it's just this. It's actually saying... I love you. I want you to buy me uh, in so many ways that Porsches really don't always say to me and to some other people. I think this is a, uh, I think it's a combination of the colors, which I just think are just off the charts. And, you know, having this, uh, you know, kind of ready to go car um, that you'd have to wait forever for if you wanted to get something like it. So uh, uh, $340,000 is a lot of money. I'm not going to say it's worth it, but I'm not going to diss on the person who bought it. How's that? Dave, the sticker was 213000 Somebody made a quick buck. Oh, yeah. Sure they did. 
I mean, you know, there's no doubt about it, but they ordered it in the right colors. They ordered it with the right equipment. They did everything right. And so I think that that's, uh, you know, 214 to 340 is a long, long way. Uh, but you know, they didn't get it in silver. Thank goodness. Yeah. I mean, this trend we're seeing, I think maybe that this is the case to talk about the trend of like, uh, flipping brand new cars and you've been around, you've probably seen it a million times. Is it, are we in a new era or it's just like more people are talking about it? What's your guess? It's like teenage love, man. It never lasts forever. That's all I can say. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you think it's going to like, you know, you're ready to, you know, your world is over when that girlfriend quits you, you know, and all that sort of stuff. No, it's not going to last forever. It's supply chain. Uh, you know, it's the fact that, you know, we've come out of the pandemic, all these sort of things, uh, you know, they, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a whole set of opportunities there. Will there always be people flipping cars when they see the opportunity? Yes. I'm looking at you, Ford Maverick. I'm looking at you, Ford Lightning, uh, you know, all those things, but they all calm down after a while because guess what? They're cars, they're manufactured. They can make another one unless of course they've gone out of production with that particular model. But, you know, some of these things is kind of like, you know, I don't care. I just sold my company for X million dollars. I really don't care if I'm paying 120 over what this dude paid for it. I want it. It's mine. See you later. Bye. Yeah. And I think it, it also, the, the pipeline for a lot of these super expensive cars is so long. So if you mm -hmm. go to the Ferrari dealer and you say, I want a 296 GTB, they say, yeah, okay. Uh, we're thinking like July, 2024. And so your right. your point is, you know, there's a fair amount of people with more money than time would say, no, no, I want it today. As it costs me an extra 120 grand, I'm buying your place in line. Then I'm going to buy your place in line. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's, that's what I sound like is sort of what you're happening. It's been always happening. Um, but the GT3 Tourings with the six speed seem to be uh, good flip cars. Uh, that's been going on for five, six years now, ever since they did the yeah. 911R, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's so funny because you only have to put yourself back 15 years or, you know, not even in some cases. And, you know, I'm not going to say the cards were unsellable, but you could go to the Porsche dealer and there are dozens of them on the parking lot, you know, on the, you know, on the lot ready to go. Um, it's just, a, a, you know, what's happened is that, that people are focusing in on much more on focusing in on Porsche as a mark. Uh, and much more focusing on the fact that there's such incredible performance and available still in a street legal package. Um, and, you know, uh, a lot of the manufacturers kind of dialed down the number of them made so that they have a vibrant selling market for the car. But in the end, the manufacturer wants to sell as many cars as they can because that's where their profit is. Okay, so do you think... Uh, put your crystal ball on, Dave. And, you know, maybe later we could talk about the pain that you're obviously still feeling from your high school days. Actually, I'm surprised you even had a girlfriend back then to say you lost, uh, you know, the love faded. But, you know, good for you. Um, do you see that um, in five years? So many things I could say right now, Larry, <laughs> but I'm not going to. I was right there with you, Dave. Trust me. Um, so five years from now, the six-speed 911s, I mean, we're, the prices are really high. When I say six-speed, I mean the manual, is because right. the expectation is that the manual transmission is going to go away. If Porsche is still making manual transmission cars in five years, what happens to these GT3 Touring? Look, I think, uh, Larry, this is something we're seeing in all kinds of markets, not just in the Porsche market. Uh, you know, these these cars that are built uh, they're ready to go, but they're going to go for more than the the factory list price. As a matter of fact, it's it's happening in in all kinds of cars. You talk about across the board. Uh, Ford Lightning is my favorite one, but uh, the second favorite one is uh, is uh, uh, late model Corvettes, the new Z06. Yeah, there's one that just sold on uh, Bringer Trailer, I think is what it was, and I can't remember what it went for. I'm just looking it up now. Do you, it went for somewhere in 230 or 40 thousand dollars do you remember that yeah i did see that that was just uh you know oh here just, it is 232 thousand and it was a hundred thousand dollars over the msrp yeah almost a hundred and four thousand dollars over msrp and the the problem with this is uh, you know the one of the things that i see with this is apparently there's a a, a warranty issue uh that you know we don't know if general motors is going to uh, honor the warranty on it because you know, it was a car that was flipped and 
that's just kind of astonishing to me. I mean, well, I, I don't well, get okay. it. But. There's, a, there's a lot of things going on here. And sure. I, I find it so fascinating because on one hand, manufacturers want their cars to be so valued that people want to buy them just to flip it. On the other mm-hmm. hand, they want to reward people who really uh, appreciate the brand and the car and not somebody that just wants to flip it. They don't want the flippers who are typically very savvy about getting on the right order list and they have connections with the dealers. They don't want them soaking up all of the allocation, right? So- yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's a big part of it. And I get that. Uh, you know, it, it, We're talking about walking on two edges of a sword here, aren't we? The manufacturers <laughs> want to get the most money they can. Sure. And then they want, and they want to sell it to somebody who is pure as the driven snow who will not, you know, flip the car immediately and still be like a brand ambassador, you know, with their brand new Z06 and they take it to cars and coffee and they show it to their friends and and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of a it's kind of a fine line that everybody walks here. Uh, you know, it's kind of nice to make one hundred thousand dollars just by saying, oh, yeah, by the way, you can buy my car. Uh, you know, a lot of us have to work for it. I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, Chevrolet priced the original new uh, Gen 8 Corvette at a very attractive price. And so a lot of people bought them and flipped them. Uh, but the flips were for fifteen dollars and $20,000. This one's more dramatic and the Z06 is harder to get because it just came out. And so I think that's why this car and these cars are getting all that kind of attention. But you're right. Uh, at some point, you know, the manufacturers are going to say, wait a minute, these things are selling for a hundred grand more. I think I have an idea. Let's raise the list price $80,000. We'll take care of that. Well, uh, this one's really interesting because it's not clear if the warranty is going to go with the car. And that voided warranty may be a way that uh, General Motors can stop the flipping. I know the people, I just did a piece, uh, it's on the Haggerty Media website about this motor. This is an incredible engine that is General Motors powertrain just saying, yep, we're going electric. We know it. We're going to make one last awesomeness just to show you we can do it. it's a five and a half liter flat plane crank v8 it revs to like 8600 the sound is every bit ferrari-esque and then general motors doing one thing you know general motors has a lot of flaws but one thing they do really really well is they can make stuff for not a lot of money and so they sell this car for one third of a ferrari price and it is really damn close to the experience and uh, no doubt about it, the Corvette is the is the cheapest performance car you can buy. Yeah, yeah, uh, but full with, stop. I mean, in that kind of in kind with, of genre. Knowing the folks, because uh, you know, the, I'm I'm right here in, in Ann Arbor, which is right close to Detroit, and uh, all the club racing I do, I I run across General Motors and Corvette engineers all the time. They're all racers. They all sure. love this stuff like us, like we do. They are. I know General Motors is in business to make money. I get it. But the people down at the level who make this stuff are seriously care about the drivers and the owners. And for them to be able to deliver this car for around 100 grand, I bet they're all geeked over the moon that they can produce this car for that level. So then when it gets flipped, I'm sure there's a ton of mixed feelings. It validates what they've done, right? Holy smoke. People love this car so much they're willing to pay 100 grand over a sticker. But on the same token, it's sort of, Rubs it the wrong way because they want it to be more uh, of a people's Ferrari than not. Does that make sense? I think I'm going on a little uh, uh, yeah, hypothetical it, it, rant here. Yeah, it all it all makes sense. I mean, okay, the other one is, uh, you know, you go to medical school for four years after or six years after going to college, and then you work as a barista at, at Starbucks. I mean, you know, that's that's the sort of thing we're talking about here. The, you know, the child what? was developed. It was ready to go. Wait a minute. Follow me here. Okay. It was ready to go. <laughs> We want it out there. We want people enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, instead, it, it takes a different course and it goes to a, a second owner. So, uh, you know, it's I get it. The Corvette is one of those cars that deserves so much respect that it doesn't get. And I you know, it just bothers the living hell out of me that, you know, the next best thing is $150,000 more all the way across the board for Corvettes full stop. However, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier about how this is the last of the, you know, the uh, ice cars, the last of the internal combustion yeah. engine cars. Uh, how many times has uh, Cher retired? 
uh, you know, gone on that final retirement tour. <laughs> I think we're talking about the same wait, thing with Dave, automobiles Dave, here. Wait, wait, wait. You're getting into politics here. Come on. This is dangerous. No, 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 Stick share, to cars. Share, Stick share, to what you know. No, no. Share's not politics. It's just that she's had like five reunion. I mean, five never again tours. This happens because the money's there. And I think the same thing's going to happen with automobiles. I, I think the end of the ice car, you know, I like to think, and maybe I'm just being hopeful that we won't see the end of the ice car anytime soon. No, I think it's going to become a more, uh, more specialty car. But yeah, you're right. Um, it's a, it's a very special car, but let's not say this is the last development of the, of the ice motor no. for general okay, motors. Fair. It's not. You, you probably got me there, Dave. Very good. Very good. You get a check mark. You, 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 I think I was wrong about that. I'll, I'll eat that. But on the flip side, what I love about it in this motor is you just know the people making it, they loved making this thing. And you can tell. Amen. And Amen. And I, I and I love, love that. that. And I, and you, like you said, I've met some of the engineers, you know, gone to some of the parties up there and, uh, uh, you know, in, in, are you a disco and, dancer, and, Dave? No. You are, aren't you? No, no, no. <laughs> I can I see avoided... the, the ball. You don't even need a disco ball with you. You got your bald head, right? It's just shining right there. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> this is a family show, right? I can't say those things. But anyhow, uh, you know, you're right. These guys live and breathe and gals live and breathe automobiles. And they like the fact that they're working for a company that allows them to do yeah. this every once in a while. It's very, very cool. And we should get down and honor these people and say, wait a minute, you know, instead of dissing on General Motors for any reason for doing this or any company that does this, this is just an exceptional car yeah. that is at a bargain basement price. Yeah, it's, it's what humans can do when they get together. It's kind of amazing. Uh, but, you know, uh, one last thing on this, the, the company that is just the best at scaring away flippers is Ferrari. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want an Enzo or one of the special cars, and if you sell it within two years, I mean, they'll almost never talk to you again. Is that that's pretty true, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's something to that. I mean, you know, you get on the Ferrari train and you buy this one, so you can buy that one, so you can buy this one, and uh, you know that that's been going on for quite some time. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like that, but there's a lot of people who buy into it. Uh, you know, you can always buy them used. I'm not a new car buyer for anything other than daily drivers. So you can always wait it out and get something. But the fear is it's the FOMO, the fear of missing out. You don't have the latest. You don't have the greatest. And, you know, one of your buddies has gone ahead and bought it. But, yeah, Ferrari's made an art form out of it. They've done a really, really good job with making it so that mere mortals can't walk into their dealership and buy everything they want. Uh, but I'm going to go back earlier on. I was saying about, uh, you know, Ferrari Daytona's named after a race and a watch. Uh, or a racetrack and a watch. Well, the same thing's true with the with the Rolex Daytona. You can't get one. You have to know somebody. You have to be a jeweler. You have to do all yeah. this sort of stuff. Or you pay the aftermarket flip price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the way luxury goods work. Um, speaking of Ferrari, I uh, there is one that's coming up for sale um, in Ontario through RM Sotheby's, and maybe mm -hmm. probably this is I probably making some waves in the collector car community. It's it's a Ferrari Enzo. This is a 2003 car with only 141 miles on the odometer. And mm -hmm. there's, uh, I suspect, a feeding frenzy for this. Um, again, just going to have my little plug in here. This means this car has sat unused for 20 years. I mean, <laughs> but anyway, I'll what, get off what of that. Could, what could possibly go wrong? No okay, that's all the tires. Yeah, I know. I know. So and it's our jet. Go, go ahead. ahead. This is going to be a big, our, big deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we won't know. I know we won't know, but that's it's now we're in that segment sealed. of the show, Dave, where we're talking about future sales that we have our eyes on. I know okay, you're but it's it's one. a it's a sealed bid auction. I hate sealed bid auctions. But oh, that's what's going to happen? What are sealed yeah. bid auctions? Okay, so that's when Larry, you go in and you say, "I want to pay three point five million dollars," and you write it down and you send the note to the people at the auction company and you say, "I bid three point five million dollars," and then I come in and I say. I want to bid $1.2 million. And while they're laughing at me, um, they're going out and saying, well, let's see who beats Larry's bid. So, uh, you know, you don't know where you stand and that sort of thing. I don't like it for real estate. I don't like it for cars. I don't like it for anything else, the sealed bid auction. I sure do like a 100-mile Enzo, though. So, Well, uh, wait, if know, I'm a seller, and I think if I'm selling, this is the best thing that ever happened, the sealed yeah, bid. It could be. Right? could be. Yeah, you greedy pig. What can you say? <laughs> I mean, of course, of course it is. I like to see these things out in the public, out in the open, because 
that at least makes me think that it's harder to, uh, uh, you know, to, to play games with these cars. Not just, I'm not talking about this car in specific. I'm talking about every car that is done at a, uh, you know, at a sealed bid. Just well, don't like it. Dave, I'm going to ask you, I mean, as a used car dealer, you understand. <laughs> Former. I'm reformed. I'm reformed. You're never reformed. Once years. you got that in your blood, that's it, Dave. This is who you are. But you really understand the psychology yeah. of people, I would guess. And since, you know, you seem to have a pretty nice house and I heard you own a Bentley and a Ferrari, you know, you've done well, pretty well be- at your used you're, car sales. You're beating, you're beating me on that, man. <laughs> you're beating me on that. But here, here's yeah, a, you, no, the psychology of an auction is fascinating, right? Because I've heard sure. you, you say to me, like, you need you need it to be out in the open because on one hand, nobody wants to look like the idiot that paid too much for the car. But on the other hand, they're not shy about letting people know they have the money to pay too much for a car. You know what I mean? Uh, you can always go in the next room, pick up your phone and call the uh, call the auctioneer right when you're there. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of ways that, you know, you can buy the car anonymously. Right. However, you do see kind of the tells that the auctioneers have, you know, whether, uh, you know, I was looking at a car recently where I won't say what kind of car is or whatever, but it did not sell. And the the owner, let's just say, wanted $900,000 for it. And the high bid on the car was, let's just say, $400,000. Well, there was no high bid on the car because it didn't sell. So mm-hmm. the auctioneer can control that. They can make a bid in a no reserve auction up to the point where the car goes off reserve. Uh, all that stuff's there, but I know that. But I don't know. Uh, what I don't know is that these, uh, you know, these, uh, uh, you know, sealed bid auctions. I have no idea who the bidders are, uh, how much they're paying, or what the actual market is on it. And as a market guy, much more than a used car guy, by the way, I'm a market guy. I want to know that stuff because that's information that really, really is important to me. Yeah, it's important to you. But I'm thinking like there's two different psychologies at play here. If it's in a live auction room, right, you're you're potentially uh, you're in a competitive situation where you're trying to outbid somebody. And then there's the added bonus of you are communicating that you can pay many, many millions for a car. Right. There's an ego value in that. And now. Oh, sure. That that tends to drive prices higher than they might be. That's why we see record prices. That's why we have live auctions, right? It's kind of the way they work. And then on the flip side, though, you have now this this thing that's growing, the sealed bid, where you're really invoking the fear of missing out on the buyers more so than you are the potential gratification of winning in the room, right? So that's what I'm, I'm I think is pretty fascinating. There's two different psychological levers that each one is pulling. Now, I may be out on a limb here, Dave. You tell me if I am, but that's what I'm thinking on something like this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of the smartest thing. You, you didn't think I had that around. in me, did you? Yeah, I'm very impressed. I think we <laughs> should just wrap it up right now because, I mean, you got your big win there. That's the no, idea. Yeah. yeah, you're right. No, absolutely correct. And, uh, uh, you know, don't don't ever think that this whole thing about selling stuff isn't about psychology. Yeah. Why? Why do we go to the Rolex dealer every six months and go, is, is my Daytona in yet? Uh, you know, all that sort of stuff, because we want that thing. But uh, we're, we'll play that game to get it. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, you're absolutely right. It's all about marketing. It's all about the, the perceived value that's there for people and sometimes people think that they're going to get a better bargain on the flip side some people think they'll get more money when they're selling it for uh you know for a sealed bid and i get that too i just don't like it i don't have to like it yeah no, we want the information me, me speaking personally that's all yeah i know you and the Hagrid evaluation team tracks all these values it's kind of fascinating to me that uh f50s uh, uh became more valuable than f40s in 2021 I'm sorry, more valuable than Enzo's. And they've always been, the F40s are really cool, but they built a thousand of them. These Enzo's, the top of the market is like 4.2 million-ish, according to the Haggerty Price Guide right now. Yeah, 4.3, yeah. So this is, I mean, maybe we won't know, but it's going to, actually, you guys always seem to hear what cars sell for. So this has got to be a record-breaking Enzo, don't you think? It probably will be, um, yeah. you know, and it's got it all. Um, I would rather that it uh, be in silver than in red. So that's a good thing. Um, but that, it, that's going to help the price that it's not. Red. I think it I think it will. I think mm, it will. Uh, because, yeah. you know, most of the F40s, most of the F50s, most of the Enzos. I don't know this for a fact, but I know it because I like this. Most of them are red and I don't like red Ferraris. So there you are. Um, Always got to be different. I mean, yeah. all right. Well, 
if you hear Dave, are you going to promise you're going to tell us, right? Yeah. You're, you're oh, not yeah. going to withhold that information. Okay, good. No, I, I will. Uh, you know, I've got those, uh, those cameras and those microphones on the walls all over the place. And we're just uh, actually, you know, the cameras would be creepy. Just the microphones, okay. uh, you know, on the walls of all these places. So I'm trying to find out. So there's another car for sale. This one's uh, another Ferrari that uh, I, I highlighted that was of personal interest. It's a 1977 Ferrari 512 BB. That's the Berlin mm-hmm. Boxer. That's the flat 12 motor that they put in that thing. This is a yep. race car. I just happened to come across an article about the uh, the North American racing team uh, BB racer. And it wasn't a factory car. And it just had this this group in New Jersey <laughs> that modified this thing into a race car. And they took it down to Daytona and they had some pretty good luck with it. So it turned out to be a pretty neat race car. Um I just like the way these sound, the way they look. It's already at $100,000 with 11 days to go. Race cars are so hard to price, I think. It's really tricky to know what these things go for, yes or no. But I I don't know. Does this? I'm feeling like I'm apologizing that I think this thing's really cool. Maybe I am. But where, where does the market treat something like this? Without the history, is it just like a weird hacked up BB or what? Well, uh, you know, let's go back to this, uh, you know, high school years when neither one of us got dates. I mean, you know, this was what we were longing for, right? The, uh, you know, the exciting car. that I had my the, cars, uh, Dave. I didn't need girls. Uh, it's okay. Okay. All right. All right. I, I get it. Uh, no, actually. Okay. So here's how race cars are priced. It's about the races that they ran. It's mm. about the drivers that they, uh, you know, that, that ran those racers. And it's the history of the car. How much of it is actually still there? Because mm. with race cars, it's full on you know, game, uh, you know, uh, not a part of the game. You swap the engine out, you swap the rear end out, you swap everything out. So this is not a car that has, from what I can see, because I'm just looking at it now, this is on Bring a Trailer, by the way. And like you said, 11 days, $100,000 is what the bid is now. Very low amount of bid uh, comments on it. Just 12 bids, uh, 12 comments as I'm looking at it. Uh, this is the type of thing a club racer is all about having fun, all about, you know, the style, all about the look. I love the look of this thing. It's great. It's aggressive. Uh, the you know five twelve BB, not my favorite of the of the Ferraris, but uh, why not? This one, this one has the looks. Hey, this is the car that followed right after the the Berlin Auto Boxer followed right after the Daytona. And some of us, when Daytonas were U.S. legal, the BBs were not, and oh. so uh, you know we kind of missed out on having that whole you know the, these cars as new cars. They came in as as uh, you know as uh, gray market, or they came in you know, much later on. Um, but I, you know, at, I don't know what this thing's going to wind up at. I have absolutely no idea because I haven't done my research on it. hundred grand sounds awful damn cheap. So it's going to go for more than that. But yeah, this is to fulfill all those boy racer, uh, dreams that you've always had. So I think you should buy this. I think you should sell everything and buy this right away. Well, that's why an auctions are so fun because you can't, it's a one-off car. How do you, how do you set what the price is? But that's what the auction's going to do. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'll be watching that one. The other thing that our folks at Haggerty Insider, and I know you're 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 involved in that very much on a day to day basis. So this isn't going to be news to you, but it's fascinating to me that like Chevelles, Chevy Chevelles from the '60s and early '70s continue to be really strong. And as we were talking about in the beginning of the show, the flip from Daytonas to Dinos, Chevelles just seem to have this staying power. And I thought. Chevelle people all had Chevelles, but nope, these things are still really, really strong. This one is right now it's uh it's on the Haggerty auctions. It's got four days to go. It's at $21,000. It's a 396, so it's not even, but it's not, it's got different wheels. It's not perfectly stock and it's still a really, really strong price. What am I missing here about these cars? You know, I'm missing it too in a little bit uh, oh. in, in, the, in the same way. I kind of don't get it, but you know, these are fun money cars at $21,069 and it's got four days left. So it's going to go for more than that. But I think a lot of people, this was an obtainable car when they were younger. Uh, it also represents the freedom to do what you want. Um, you know, what do you mean? Okay. So how many Chevelles that were two years old, uh, that were owned by anybody under 35 years old in the day had original wheels on them? Uh, the answer to that is zero. Everybody oh. customized them. Everybody modified them. Everybody had fun with them. And so, you know, I think that continues that you can kind of continue doing the, you know, the things that you want to make it your, you know, your specific car. And I think that's the beauty of the Chevelle, uh, especially and and the cars, you know, the Malibu, all the all the ones that 
kind of run around with it, have all that going for him. So uh, I was never that guy. Uh, I was more of a Mustang guy. I was more of a Camaro guy than I was a Chevelle guy, but I get it. Um, they were affordable. If you had a job, you could get one of them. And I think a lot of people, you know, that are, you know, now, uh, sadly my age, um, or a little bit less, maybe 10 years less, think of these as kind of the ultimate freedom machines. Oh, I see. Cause you have the license to do whatever you want. I mean, when I see this thing, <laughs> the picture that pops in my mind, I don't know if you've seen that photo. It's of a, um, it's a bunch of younger guys. In the 70s, you can tell because of the way their haircuts are, they're shirtless, they've got cut off jeans and shorts, and they've got like a big chain hooked to a branch of a tree right. and they're hauling an engine out of a Chevelle, right? That's what this exactly. is for. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exactly right. I mean, you know, uh, once they were a couple years old, they were so incredibly affordable. Uh, you know, I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to represent today's money with, with, uh, seventies money, but let's just say for, you know, well under 10 grand, a bunch of guys could get, I mean, you know, the contemporary money, well under 10 grand, a bunch of guys and gals could get together and, you know, have this car to go out and, and, you know, and do what they wanted to, you know, swap it out with a new motor, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that you could do in terms of performance, all the performance parts were available. They were cheap. Uh, back in the day, you'd call an 800 number. You remember those? Uh, you wouldn't look on that uh, weird internet thing. And you could get all those parts and you could have them in instantaneously and have a fun car to drive and go styling out on the street. Four cars and coffee. Uh, you take it to, you know, uh, different kind of meets and stuff like that. But just have fun with it. They're a freedom yeah, machine. They're, they're absolutely cool. a freedom machine. Yeah, my sons and I drove a 69. It's a Chevelle wagon on Route 66 mm -hmm. a few years ago. And it was super fun. I mean, they're... They are crude, but they're they go down the road really well. And if you get the right one, they they ride kind of nice. They have that like GM float. The steering's really really numb. I know that my son was driving; and he was sixteen. Oh yeah, that really made him scared. But once you oh, get try, used to this, try try that with polyglass tires. Oh, <laughs> that's what they came with. I mean, talk about float. You were on the road, like all over the road. So yeah, yeah. so yeah. Well, it's a fascinating week, Dave. It's good to chat with you. Anything that uh, you want to say to the audience before we sign off? Uh, let's see here. Um, springtime's coming. That's a good thing. So, so it's uh, a selling season, right? It's the start of the selling season. So, uh, you know, uh, forget all that work that you got piled up in front of you. Just do like I do and get on, bring a trailer, go look at the auction listings on uh, on uh, cars and bids, go look at uh, everything on Haggerty on the uh, Haggerty Marketplace. All right, so, have that new uh, one. Your boss doesn't need you to work all that hard. Just go ahead and take the time off. Yeah, I mean Haggerty has a marketplace now, including auctions. So technically, yep. I'm on the clock if I'm looking at this stuff. So uh, yeah, you, you figured that you figured that out too, man. Don't <laughs> tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Well, that's it for me. I just want to say, as always, these cars are investments in joy. I mean, it's a theme I hate. I get to time and time and time again. Gosh, drive them. That's what they're there for. Um, you know, if you buy it. what you love, you won't be disappointed. Leave your questions in the comments. We'll get back to you. We'll look forward to catching you next week on No Reserve.